Welcome to Marvelous Disney with Aaron Adams, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings at one of the more dynamic divisions of the Walt Disney Company, which is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. This is entertainment writer Jim Hill and my co-host, the amazing Aaron Adams, and I are recording this week's episode on Tuesday, November 7th, 2023. And before we get into the news of the week, Aaron, you've been talking on earlier episodes about uh, Spider-Man 2, the, the game for the PS5. And um, how far are you into the game now? I'm at the end credits. Oh. I think that's about as far as you can go. Actually, after the credits, you can swing back into New York City and take care of any quests that are, as of yet, unresolved. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've only got one left, but it's bugged out where uh, Genki calls you on the cell phone. He goes, hey, I've got the secret location of that base. And mm-hmm. then it doesn't send you anywhere. And every time you do a thing, it, it Genki calls and goes, hey, I got the secret location to that base. Mm-hmm. And so I've heard Genki tell me he's got the secret location to a base about a, a half a dozen times, but he never actually says where that location is. So I'm at 98.9%, and I guess that 1.1% is uh, a secret base that's currently glitched out. So whatever. Got it. Okay. So uh, the reason I'm asking is I've been watching or observing on social media that it the end of the game and i i wonder do we need to break out the klaxon for this or oh okay well then yeah i guess i'll fire up the klaxon one time real quick just to be on the safe side okay okay all righty then yeah go ahead with the spoiler now you explained that if you look at the previous spider-man games uh for the the ps4 and the ps5 and and how they they have sort of toggled back and forth between a Peter Parker game and a Miles game. Mm-hmm. This, what happens at the end of the game really isn't a surprise, is it? No, I mean, it, it tends to fit the pattern, considering, like you said, we start off with Spider-Man 1. The lead mm-hmm. is Peter Parker with backup mm-hmm. cast of Miles Morales. The second game that comes out is Miles Morales Spider-Man with mm-hmm. backup uh, Peter Parker. And so now we you know, swift back or shift back to... Uh, Peter being the lead in Spider-Man 2. So, I mean, it would only seem kind of logical that they would kind of flip it back to Miles to be the lead in the next one and keep it fresh every time, mm-hmm. not to, you know, rehash over and over. And, uh, you know, they they do a very similar thing with Call of Duty games where, you know, it's modern warfare, and then they go back to, like, a, a old World War II, and then back to a modern warfare, and then back mm-hmm. to, you know, World War One. So they mm-hmm. they keep... You know they want to they want a new experience every time instead of the very same thing you bought last year. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, a little buffer zone give you a new lens to look at New York City through a, a different angle to tell the story. But, but I'm not a developer. Who knows what they've got in store? Who who knows? So anything's possible right now. Okay, well, cool. All right, well, we're going to pivot now to the news, folks. But as always, the news portion of Marvelous Disney is brought to you by Touring Plan's own travel agency. And if you're thinking about heading on down to Walt Disney World anytime soon, these obviously knowledgeable folks can help. Uh, They'll even toss in a free subscription to the Touring Plans with every vacation package you book. So before you head down to Florida and do your next trip at Disney World, please check them out at touringplans.com backslash travel. So did you manage to catch the, the final trailer for uh, the Marvels, uh, the one that uh, aired this Monday uh, on ESPN as part of Monday Night Football? So it came out last evening? No, I haven't seen anything since last evening. 
I there guess. we go. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, this was during uh, a game between the Los Angeles Chargers and the New York Jets, uh, two of the bigger media markets in the country. And they really pulled out the stops. I mean, uh, the ad starts with uh, footage of Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man and Chris Evans, Captain America, not to mention sneaking in an image of Thanos. They also revealed that Tessa Thompson's Valkyrie will be making an appearance in this Nia DaCosta movie and offering up uh, inspiring phrases like you can stand tall without standing alone. And I didn't catch this on the first pass, but somebody was quick to freeze frame for, for me and send it along. There's a monitor at one point in this ad that clearly down in the right-hand corner has the X-Men logo. Uh-oh. So the final trailer looks great and makes it look as though the Marvels will be well going out of your way to see, especially now that they're, they're pushing the idea that be there for the moment that changes everything. And I got to wonder... If we're going to hear from the folks who who are in Las Vegas tonight, that's where the world premiere of the Marvels is being held. In fact, Hollywood Reporter has a story up right now about for those who can't actually get into the sphere where the, uh, I guess, the premiere is being held. They're using the exterior of this 580,000 square foot LED display. Uh, They've got goose up there, basically kaiju sized. There have been so many interesting shots of that that orb there in uh, Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. There was one guy who uh, had posted on his Twitter feed, no, I don't think it's creepy at all from my hotel room window. And the shot was like the lower right-hand corner. Apparently there was a face, but it was just basically one eyeball kind of peeking in through his hotel room window (laughs) from the orb. And it's just kind of unsettling to see it just, Mm -hmm. you know, given a little peekaboo through your room window but uh yeah, yeah. it's really cool i love i love some of the stuff they've come up with for that thing oh no, no no absolutely and from just the stuff they did with the youtube concert inside i mean it it is next gen stuff you know what they could potentially do with this space you know it's it's funny my my wife goes it's terrifying there's no way in hell i'll ever step foot in that thing and then mm-hmm. five minutes later she's looking up the price for you two tickets and i'm like hmm <laughs> yeah there you go there you, you start go. looking at it, you go it's really kind of neat though no matter what you say you know it's like wow look at that look at that all these pictures all that stage oh my goodness wouldn't it be neat to be in there this brings me to my other ticket related question it's like again no you're a busy guy but are you going to be heading out this weekend to see the marvels <laughs> that's uh unfortunately no i i cannot um mm-hmm. I'm in the I'm in the process of a studio remodel for mm-hmm. filming, mm-hmm. and uh, I've got a new studio desk coming. So I have to tear apart. It's showing up Friday, so I have to tear apart my studio mm-hmm. and then rewire it all within the same day. Uh-huh. And uh, yeah, there's about 500 cables, and it's they all go to very specific places. And uh, anyway, it, I'm committed. I'm committed. No, 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 no. I, I get it. You know, the, the, in fact, I, I'm kind of in the same place myself. I mean, Len, Jim Shul, and I are going to be in Boston for that MIT theme park play conference. And so right. the earliest, honestly, Nancy and I can get out to check this thing out, will be Tuesday of next week. And 
already we've been hearing about how uh, the Marvels is expected to basically half the business that Captain Marvel did back in 2019. But mm. but that's not enough for variety. That, you know, follow-up to last week's, and there's just no other way to describe it, brutal feature, uh, the one that, that basically shined a spotlight on every single misstep Marvel Studios has made over the past four years. That trade doubled down by publishing an opinion piece by uh, Owen Gleiberman, who, uh, who which had this headline, you know, to the effect of, what comes after Marvel? Better hope it's not something worse. The gist of this piece, and again, I'm, I'm quoting from, from Owen here, that seasoned moviegoers know in their bones that all genres have their day, that every movie form ultimately comes and goes. Nothing lasts forever, and that includes the MCU. So this is the Westerns phase of cinema. It's like disco, red hot for a minute. I don't know, man. It's made a whole lot of money. Mm-hmm. And even though they haven't performed as well as people would like, it's not like they're losing their ass left and right. So, yeah, I think that train's going to stay on track for a while. It's going to take a lot more than than underperforming to derail it. This is what's concerning them. It's not just the depressed box office projections for the Marvels. They, they've now finally gotten the numbers in hand for Loki Season 2. And what's concerning for the folks at both Disney and Marvel is that there was a 39% fall off in viewership. If you compare season one of Loki, how it did doing it during its first three days when it was available back in 2021 mm-hmm. versus how season two of Loki did over its first three days that it was available on that streaming service. So, There seems to be at Disney and Marvel right now some genuine concern about maybe superhero fatigue is a real thing. That's why they just did what they did with Echo. Did you hear about this? Spotlight series. There we go. There we go. The notion was that everything that the MCU is doing, whether it's theatrical releases or the limited series, they all tie together and tell one great overarching story. And 22 movies, six limited series. But now, because there seems to be a concern that there are a number of people who are actually standing outside of Marvel product at this point and going, do I really need to see 22 movies and and six limited series to understand what's going on? And it's like, I, I don't know if I'm willing to make that sort of investment. And so this, what they're doing with Echo now, the uh, and by the way, the other thing that was kind of interesting uh, when they talked about this uh, launching the Spotlight series is they revealed that only five episodes of Echo are, are being released on January 10th. And there were six of them shot. So, uh, you know, the, the stories we heard about editing and, and, you know, and having issues and that sort of thing seem to be true at this point. It's better to come in short than to be long and boring and lag. And so I'll, I'll always take the shorter episodes for, you know, better viewing experience. Hey, look, you're not wrong there. But, but anyway, to, to sort of pivot now to what Brad Winderbaum, he's the Marvel Studios head of streaming. The way he explained... Marvel Spotlight, this new sort of subset 
of projects that they'll be doing at Marvel Studios. Marvel Spotlight gives us a platform to bring more grounded, character-driven stories to the screen. And in the case of Echo, to focus on street-level stakes over larger MCU continuity. Didn't we already kind of have that discussion like a couple of years ago about we've got our celestial superheroes like the Guardians who are off in space? We've got our flying type superheroes like Iron Man that battle through the air. And then we've got our grounded superheroes like the Daredevil and the Punisher and mm -hmm. all of those who are street level. And they kept referring to them as street level characters. And it seems kind of like they're using that same language again just to put a different tag on it. I guess this is their new you know, differentiator. What I'm hearing from, from friends at Disney is Marvel Studios especially given that they had to revisit Echo and do some reshoots. And then Bob Iger comes through the door and starts talking about how the stuff that's on Disney Plus is diluting, you know, the value of Marvel's theatrical releases. And supposedly this is the trial balloon. This is the thing that the effect of, okay, you know, that, that you, you don't want things that link up with the bigger MCU thing. Fine. We'll make Echo that. Although you got to explain how how come the kingpin's wearing an eye patch? Oh, you have to watch Hawkeye. You're like, okay, well, well, I have to watch Hawkeye. Well, you have to go back before that because there's a, a thread there. Like, who are all these people in Hawkeye? Well, there's a couple other stories you got to catch up on. Well, uh, okay, it's complicated. Just sit down. Let's brew some coffee. You got four hours? Okay, six. Mm. <laughs> Welcome to Marvel Spotlight, where you don't need to know not that much. <laughs> There we go. Well, okay, well, let me let me just ask you a different question. Mm -hmm. Do you think that um, things such as the new Daredevil series, which will eventually come out, uh, do you think that will get the Marvel Spotlight banner as well? Because that's street level. <sighs> and if it doesn't, why not? Because we also expect it to be bloody, violent, mature, what we'd consider like an R-rated if it were film. So you know, interesting. It fits that all that. You say that because, again, a Echo... Uh, is going to be the very first Marvel limited series on Disney Plus that has an M rating for Mature uh, due to the violence. And what's kind of interesting is that Deadpool 3 is also supposed to have an R. But just this week, the director of the Blade reboot uh, confirmed that Disney just gave them the all clear to make that an R as well. Well, thank goodness for good taste. I mean... That's what it needs to be. Yeah. You just get a sense that this is a marvel that, okay, we need to try some new things. We need to, to, to change stuff up. Well, absolutely. I mean, we've talked for a long time about the different flavors of each individual Marvel movie, you know, and, and the personality of the character driving it. Mm -hmm. And so you should be able to dive into every genre of film that came before it if it suits the storytelling needs of the characters. So, yeah, if uh, you want to hunt vampires, I mean, first off, vampires are sexy. They got to get up to your neck, you know, like a, a embrace and a kiss, you know, it's it's sexual, right? And and then it's bloody. Oh, it's violent. And they're screaming and, and oh, ick. So, I mean, j just those two bullet points right there of what a vampire is and does mm -hmm. it leans towards the R. Okay. To to be true to what it is, you got to do what it takes, and I think that's what it takes. So good for them for pulling the trigger on that. Okay. Well, I, I, again, and just given 
you know, how they almost lost Mahershala Ali because of the earlier scripts. It'll, it'll be intriguing to see how he feels about this as well. But anyway, a moment ago, you, you mentioned Hawkeye, which, uh, by the way, I, I want to remind folks that Marvel Studios' Hawkeye, the art of the series, uh, the, the next book in the, the art of series, comes out on November 21st. Uh, I've already got my copy pre-ordered. And of course, if we talk about Hawkeye, we have to talk about Jeremy Renner, who, did you see the, the image of him uh, courtside at the Lakers game uh, this past week? He's getting out and about. Uh, you know, in fact, he, he was there when the Lakers took on the Clippers. And Aaron, we're now 10 months into Renner's recovery from that accident at his home in Utah when the, what was it, the snowcat basically mm-hmm. rolled over him and broke 30 bones in his body. And so people have asked him, because again, he's out in the world. It's like, so what What are you doing to heal? And, uh, you know, Jeremy jumped on Instagram to say he's exploring every type of therapy. And here's what he listed. Every day, countless hours of physical therapy, peptide injections, IV drips and pushes, stem cell and exosomes, red light, IR therapy, hyperbolic chambers, cold plunges, and the list goes on and on. Though he says the thing that he thinks has helped the most with his recovery is keeping his mind sharp and and maintaining the will to still be here and push to recover and get better. So by keeping his mind sharp, that means he's still playing Wordle. Congratulations (laughs) on your 138-day Wordle streak. Uh, All right. It's worth noting that supposedly the folks at Marvel have just flat out told Renner that... When he's ready, they'd love to get him back in front of the camera for something. So it's just sort of like, let us know when you're ready to go. And, you know, whether it's going to be Thunderbolts or or that sort of thing, Hawkeye will be back. Uh, of course, the actor's strike has to end first. And this time last week, it looked like that labor action was, was nearing an end, that both parties seemed it's like okay we're, we're within inches and then the producers uh this past weekend made what they called their last best and final offer <laughs> you know I've, I've produced a lot of commercials and you go okay this is the the commercial and they go oh, i just want to change you go okay here's revision one and they go oh one, one more change all right here's a final revision oh, no 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 one more change a final final revision okay this is the you label it this is the last freaking time i make this commercial final revision final 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 exclamation mark five times and uh, yeah yeah best and final and and uh you know what i'm i'm betting Mm-hmm. It probably was not the trifecta, either their best, nor their final, mm-hmm. uh, nor their, what was it? The, the last, best. The best, uh, last, best, and final. And yeah, yeah, I, I bet they're going to have to go one more time at bat on that. So uh, yeah, they're wrong in all three counts, aren't they, Jim? Tell me that's the case. Well, that's the thing. SAG-AFTRA management, it was really not liking uh, what the producers are putting out there for AI. The key issue at this point is that the studios and the streamers want to retain the rights to use scans of deceased performers and then be able to use these deceased performers in future projects without the consent of their estates or SAG-AFTRA. Mm-hmm. And where this especially gets disturbing to me is it's 
Disney, especially now that it has all of the Fox Film Library at its disposal, that is supposedly really digging in when it comes to the AI dead deceased performers not paying their estates issues. Because evidently Disney sees this as the future of film. Picture this scenario. Okay, you're at home, and uh, you uh, early in the show, you were just talking about Western. So uh, mm-hmm. what if you, you decided, you know, I'd really like to experience what it would be like to be, you know, in a Western with Paul Newman playing Butch Cassidy. So you pull out your credit card, you pay the Disney company, you then put on your Oculus Quest virtual reality helmet, and you then can experience a Western adventure with a now very much alive, no longer deceased Paul Newman. But he smells like Italian dressing for some reason. <laughs> it's just weird. Does the, the Oculus Quest allow you to smell? Or, you know, or, no, yeah, or I mean, if you sit in, in the same clothes long enough, yeah, you'll smell. There we go. But, there uh, we go. Yeah, yeah, no. the, 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 my dog has no nose. How does it smell? Terrible. Right. So I was kind of more thinking along the lines of, um, remember it was like a week or two ago, we mentioned there was that basketball scene where like the first couple of rows were, mm. were digital performers yeah. uh, clapping their hands. And, and instead really it's bad. like they're yeah. in the, in the first row. Look, it's Paul Newman clapping mm. his hands and Oh look, it's uh, Fred Astaire clapping his hands. Cause you know, we got the rights. Why not just load up dead celebrities to populate an arena mm-hmm. for our little uh, basketball game with, you know, Hayden Pantier. I don't, she's too old to play uh, cheerleader now. I remember her from Heroes being, you know, save the cheerleader. Save the cheerleader. Yes. Anyway. But this is seriously what the studios are thinking of. You know, the notion is that there is this potential revenue stream of people who want this, who want to have a virtual reality experience with, in in the world of their favorite movie, or or to you know to be doing something with their favorite performer, and when you think about that, that's not a story that you tell with twenty two movies and six limited series. That's something mm. where you are literally treating entertainment like it's a buffet. It's like I want that performer, I want that setting. But again, I don't want to sit here for three hours, you know, maybe 45 minutes and then I got to pee or I got to go to bed. Well, just to play devil's advocate for just a quick second. I mean, I'm totally against the idea of using someone's likeness after they die. But let's just say that it's in the case of a Lucasfilm and you're like, hey, we wanted to do the adventures of Mace Windu. Mm-hmm. And Sam has passed for mm-hmm. whatever reason. This is in the future. Well, in the future. Mm-hmm. And uh, he died at a ripe old age of 110. But okay. Further on in the future, they're like, we'd like to do a Mace Windu adventure. And uh, when, Jim, you know, when you're like an artist working Mm -hmm. for a company, all the sketches you do, that's the property of the company forever and ever. And uh, everything you do, all the notes you take, all the phone calls you make, that's all, even though it's your work, it belongs to Mm -hmm. Disney. That's Mm -hmm. just it. That's the way it works. So they've already got your likeness from a previous movie. Mm-hmm. You are already that character. They've got your voice. They've got all your assets, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And they could just plug you in because technically they own you. Mm-hmm. And the fans would be like, oh, yes, yeah, bring Sam Jackson back from the dead. He was a badass mf 
Mm. You know, or what if Tarantino's like, all right, it's my last film. Finally, mm. my last film. It's Pulp Fiction 2, The Return mm. of Jules, mm. uh, you know, or whatever. And, uh, well, we got to bring Sam back, mm. you know. I, I think that a lot of people would, like, in the general public would be like, oh, yeah, that'd be awesome. Mm-hmm. I know if Hollywood can, Hollywood can make money off of it, you know damn well that they're going to do that. Mm-hmm. So uh, what's the the barrier that's going to break this? Just the strike going on until they finally give up the ghost on that that one concept forever and ever, amen? There are already deals in place. In fact, I, I, let me tell you a story about it. I, I went to a party once in Los Angeles. I mean, it was an, uh, an industry thing. I always held at a, a, an event space. And basically what it was is you walked into this building and there were three monitors up. Uh, and in each of the monitors, so one monitor was a CG version of Boris Karloff and another mm-hmm. monitor was a CG version of Bela Lugosi and then a third monitor was uh, W.C. Fields. And this was a technology company that had already cut deals with the families of Boris Kollar, Bela Lugosi, and W.C. Fields to bring their long-deceased famous performer relative back to life virtually so they, they could appear in in television commercials so they you know or if somebody really wanted to make a brand new dracula movie with bella lugosi playing that role that you know they could in turn go to a universal and you know cut the deal to the effect of you know we have bella i talked with the tech people but i also talked with the family members and they were you know it's like well my granddad gets to live on and he also provides for my family, which I think that, you know, is something he would have liked us to do because that's the other thing, especially with performers of that age, because mm-hmm. there was kind of an infamous negotiation in, in the late 50s, early 60s to the effect of nobody gets royalties from appearing in things prior to like 59, 58. And so the studio gets the profit from showing Frankenstein or Dracula or there's a sucker born every minute, but not the families. And so this this was a way to create a new revenue stream for them. And I have to tell you, Aaron, I walked away from this simultaneously fascinated and disgusted because it was like, ooh, I mean, I, I mean, it's cool that they can do this. Right. But, you know, but again, we're kind of in that Jurassic Park space where you know you could do this but should you did you ever think that you shouldn't just on on a recent show you were talking about how you know you crack open your your copy of of spider-man 2 on the the ps5 and how much you were enjoying not necessarily playing you know the game moving the story forward but just sort of flying through the concrete corridors of of oh yeah manhattan yeah that's like one of the highest highlights of the game now my uh, thing right now is also thinking you know keeping in mind purely hollywood is superficial Mm -hmm. as can be right it's all about how you look and how Mm -hmm. you sound so think of a, a actress who's in the prime of their life you know anna de armas okay Lovely, lovely woman. Mm-hmm. I would think she would be the kind of person who goes, scan me now before I get wrinkles. <sighs> Preserve me at this age instead of when I'm 65. Mm-hmm. Right? 
And, and then, you know, yeah, go ahead and use me over and over after I've died and you've got the good looking hot version of me and uh, and I'm providing for my family and I also look stunning while I'm doing it. Like these are the and plus the younger you are, the less afraid you are of digital because you grew up with an iPad in your hands since you've been like two. That's right. An interesting point. You've had an avatar since you was a baby. That's yeah, there's there's always been a digital copy of you on a screen, whether it be your Wii or your Nintendo, you know, whatever or your Xbox. Yeah, so they have all got avatars, so they're used to it. That's just the thing. But the downside of doing that, of, of scanning yourself when you're young, I mean, for example, one of the things I've enjoyed about uh, Picard, the series on uh, Paramount Plus is seeing the cast of next generation again and mm -hmm. and how they've aged and how they've grown and yeah all right it's a little hard to swallow with brett spider as data because he's, yeah, he's so supposed you know, to be if they yeah. if they had scanned him in the 90s everybody could have aged except him and that would have just blown your freaking mind you're like oh my god look at that that's yeah. crazy yeah yeah no it would have worked yeah but you 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 wouldn't get the nuanced performance that are oh no Brent come on you Spider. know that they could have put you know. Brent in the little suit with the ping pong balls just mm. like they did with Andy Circus for everything he's ever done for the last twenty years, and <sighs> uh, and said Brent go and play Brent huh mm. go do Data it's that's just that you've got the the young skin on come on you know that's how they would play that. That's an interesting idea. Speaking yeah. of which, though, folks, when we get back, we're going to talk about uh, Patrick Stewart's memoir, Make It So, and Patrick looking back on how he wound up playing Charles Xavier in the X-Men films. Before we get started uh, with the Patrick Stewart stuff, just wanted to get your thoughts on episode five of season two of Loki. What, what did we think of the, the most recent episode? It's so visually stunning and pretty and the, the spaghettification of a universe, mm -hmm. the record shop. Oh, oh, my goodness. There were so many shots like the way that the camera was on the ceiling, looking down at the record, spinning at the same RPM mm -hmm. as the vinyl. Mm -hmm. So that stayed perfectly motionless. But the room spun around it. I mean, there are like little touches. It was Aaron Moorhead and, and uh, Justin Benson mm -hmm. were the, the directors of the episode. Very interesting. You bring that up because literally an hour ago. Hollywood Reporter revealed that Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead are going to direct the episodes that remain to be shot for Daredevil Born Again. And ah. these two gentlemen are going to be the first ones to work on three different uh, limited series for, for Marvel Studios. They, of mm -hmm. course, as you just mentioned, they did uh, Loki Season 2, uh, but they also worked on Moon Knight. The thing I like about those guys are they they are like true independent spirit, and we've talked about them before in the past. How they've had different movies that link up tangentially to one another by like a single character from from one movie to another, and they have like this kind of shared universe of their own. You know, just like the MCU is a shared universe. They are, they had their own, but it was all like done on their own out in the woods you know nickel and dime budget just a, a great script and a camera and a couple of dudes and their friends going out making movies and uh, they their most recent one just released a couple years a year ago uh called something in the dirt 
There we go. Weird sci-fi, like you watch it and it's just bizarre. And this is the thing. A lot of people complain about MCU is, you know, Mm -hmm. it's all superheroes and that's all you get in the theaters. Mm -hmm. Well, these guys made things that are not IPs. Mm -hmm. It's original content. Mm-hmm. And that's the other thing I have a huge appreciation for is for these directors is, you know, they write their own stuff and it, it's it's different and it's mm-hmm. unique and uh, it deserves a spot to, to live. And then for the MCU to go, hey, what's that that cool, unique thing over there? Let's have have us some of that. People say that we need more unique. Let's go get the guys that make unique. Yeah. And then they bring them on board and they do a, a great job in the episode. Mm-hmm. I mean, because now they've got Marvel money. Mm-hmm. They've got Marvel special effects. They've got Marvel backing up everything they say. There's no, there's no talk back. You do what the good boys say. We need the shot today, today, sir. Get in your position. Lights, camera, action, go. Uh, yeah. So I mean, they're playing, you know, with the big boys, and they are just slamming it out of the park. It was a great episode, and we could talk about anything specifically you want to talk about, but it just looked great. The story was great, and I, I can't wait to see now that we've kind of like reset at the end of the episode. Uh, I'm very, very much primed for the next episode. This has just been really good storytelling. I totally agree. I my one note is that. Since season one, I have wanted to see Owen Wilson happily bouncing around a lake on a jet ski. I, I don't right. think I... I was like, no, don't make Mobius a single parent dad who's who's now struggling to move overpriced watercraft. It's like, no, 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 no. I, I want happy Mobius. But maybe that will happen yet. Okay, so we were talking earlier about Patrick Stewart's Make It So, a memoir. This was published by Simon & Schuster back on October 3rd. It's already been on the New York Times bestsellers list. And you look at Patrick Stewart today and what this guy has achieved and, and the amazing performances and the fact that he had a childhood that, you know, in fact, his wife describes it as Dickensian. I mean, it, mm. it, you know, just beyond poverty, and really poor performer in school and to be honest it was one english teacher i think it was uh shylock you know that 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 had him read shakespeare in class and it was like and was just sort of stunned that this kid could be that present and it was that teacher that put him on the path that eventually got him into the Royal Shakespeare Company. And likewise, that's what led to his film and television work, which, of course, led to Star Trek, The Next Generation. But today we're going to talk about his Marvel stuff. And so there's a chunk of the book where Sir Patrick Stewart talks about how in 1997 he, he played the bad guy in a movie called Conspiracy Theory. He was uh, starring alongside Julia Roberts and Mel Gibson. This was a film directed by Richard Donner. And so he had just finished an ADR session. That's where you go in after the fact and you're, you're replacing dialogue. And an assistant rushes into the studio and hands him an envelope. And there's a note on the front of the envelope that says, read now. And so he opens it up and there's a script inside. And the note is from a Lauren Schuler Donner. And it's like, okay, well, I know Lauren. That's Richard's wife. And she's a highly successful film producer on her own. So on his way out of the lot, he swings by her office. And she looks, and there's this, in, in Laura's office, there's this mocked-up photograph of somebody who's sitting in a, a wheelchair who looks very much like Patrick Stewart. 
And so he says, what on earth is that, Lauren? And it's like, oh, Patrick, that's you in six months. You were born to play Professor Charles Xavier. And who on earth is that, Lauren? And he's the leader of the X-Men. And it's one of these things where she explains to him that, you know, it's this wonderful story based on a long-running series of Marvel comics. And this is what Patrick says in regards to, you know, she's laying out that it's a film we want to get started shortly and Brian Singer's going to direct it. And he's the guy who did Usual Suspects. And I know you love that movie. And he's waiting to hear if you're interested in doing this. And so Patrick says, is my thoughts at the time? It's like, no, no more fantasy, no more sci-fi, no more telepaths, no more actors zipping into form-fitting costumes. I'm done with that. Thanks for thinking of me, but no, absolutely not. And from there, there are several months of persuading and persuading and contracts. And what really kind of intrigued Patrick is when he learned that Ian McKellen was going to play Magneto and that they had both been in the Royal Shakespeare Company, but they had barely worked together. They'd only been in one show together, a Tom Stoppard play, Every Good Boy Deserves Favor. And, you know, I, I liked working with him. And, yeah, okay, I, I could maybe do that. They then jump ahead to, they uh, were now in Toronto on set with Halle Berry, uh, James Marsden, second day of shooting. And they learn that Doug Ray Scott, who had been cast as Wolverine, has had to pull out uh, Mission Impossible 2 is running over schedule and they just won't release him from the film so that day they're holding auditions so just sitting around drinking coffee and describes the production assistant escorts a young man onto the soundstage and introduces us to him he's handsome dark-haired fellow with a relaxed amiable manner and he explains he's here to meet brian and be put in front of the camera for uh, you know a camera test and so half hour goes by and this gentleman with a thick Australian accent, who I think everybody at this point knows is Hugh Jackman, walks back over to these actors who were having coffee and they're like, well, how did it go? And Hugh shakes his head mournfully. and It's like, well, you guys are never going to see me again. <laughs> and so it's like they commiserate with him and, you know, well, you know, hope he had a good flight. And, and Patrick turns to James Marsden and says, well, poor guy. I hope they'll offer him some sort of a bit part in the film as a consolation. And, you know, Brian shows up, drags Hugh off set, and then two minutes later comes back on the set and, ladies and gentlemen, meet Wolverine. And so... I don't know what happened. Hugh was convinced he'd screwed up the audition, whereas Brian immediately took to him. But Patrick says, well, there was uproar. Everyone was on their feet, hugging him and slapping him on his shoulder. And Jack went on to say later that he'd been about to head straight for the airport, <laughs> you know, after, right. after the audition. Uh, but he whisked into wardrobe. And I don't know, maybe it's because he fit Doug Ray Scott's costumes. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, all right, you fit, you're in. But the other thing that makes this book worth seeking out is he talks about he made six X-Men movies. And seven, I guess, if we count the cameo in Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. But it's like, look, I've made six. I've made my last X-Men movie, and I had turned my back on the franchise. But then I found out that James Mangold, uh, you know, the, the guy who made literary movies like Heavy and Girl Interrupted, he was going to make Logan. Mm. 
And it was like, let me see a script and I'll, I'll let you know. And it's one of these things where he, he talks about, you know, he's a, he kind of looks at the script and it's like, well, first of all, high, high, high secret project that when he got the script, it didn't say Wolverine, it didn't save Logan, it had a title, Natchez. It was, you know, deliberately a dummy title to throw people off the scent. And so he's reading it and story starts in 2029 and the X-Men are in deep decline and no mutants have been born in the past 25 years. And it's like, you know, it's looking and on page two, Logan's no longer Wolverine. He's a guy who's driving a, a dirty limo in a Mexican border town. And Charles Xavier is, he's now Logan's ward and a 90-year-old shell of his former self beset with dementia. And Logan is looking after Charles and some deserted factory and feeding him pills to keep his seizures down. And Patrick, you know, on page two goes, I'm in. <laughs> you know, it's like, if that's what you're going to do with this film, and more to the point, if it's James Mangold directing and writing this thing, I'm in. Well, I mean, for most of the acting that he has to do, I mean, he, the, the character's stuck in a wheelchair. So he basically just has to sit there, and then every once in a while, take two fingers and raise them up and touch them to his temple. And then set his hand back down, and uh, that's that was his action scene. That was a stunt. <laughs> but at the same time, anyone who's seen Logan, I mean, those scenes where... Oh, no, it was great. Yeah. Oh, when Charles is, is off his meds, so to speak, and yep. disturbing the world at large, it's those things, you look at the scenes, how did you shoot that? What did you do? I mean, how much of that is practical? How much of that is effects after the fact? It's, it's amazing stuff. And right. one of the conditions for Hugh Jackman to come back and play Logan, Wolverine, in Deadpool 3 was he had to be reassured that everything we saw in Logan wasn't disturbed. You know, mm -hmm. that, that story stays whole. Which just goes to show he has never watched an MCU movie that he's not in because he would understand how the multiverse works and he wouldn't have to have that as a stipulation. He'd go, oh, I'm just a different version of me. Okay, got it. Okay, okay. Well, anyway, again, if you're looking for an especially fun read and, and uh, you know, we haven't even touched on any of the, the absolutely amazing Star Trek stories that are in this thing or likewise his tales from his days in, in the real, uh, you know, uh, Shakespeare company. I mean, it just it's such a fun read. And, and the, the other thing is he, he just comes across as this, this very humble, lucky guy who, you know, just is is happy with the career he's had and is also open to the idea of revisiting characters, but only if in different and new ways, which again is, is what they managed to do with the Picard series, all three seasons of it. If I had a chance to ask him just one question, mm -hmm. I think it would be, Mr. Stewart, do you actually like tea, Earl Grey, hot, <laughs> yeah. as a beverage? 
Okay. All <laughs> right. No, I hate it. Two, I had to drink that garbage for years. I don't know, you know, what, what did they replace it with? Whiskey. I, uh, neat. There we go. There we go. There we go. Yeah, shake it, not stirred. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, just again, uh, looking for a, a read or if you've got a Star Trek fan on your your holiday shopping list, Make It So is definitely worth chasing down. And speaking of, of something going out of your way to seek out, 32nd Street, Aaron's Patreon project, uh, which shines a spotlight on Madison Avenue. What are we doing this week with uh, 32nd Street? Well, Ron's wife thought we should talk about podcasts because oh. she finds this whole thing just a silly faff, if you mm-hmm. will. Okay. And uh, and, and so uh, she's like, well, go explain it. And, and Ron, you know, tries to explain it. And then mm-hmm. we get into, you know, cost per thousand when it comes to a commercial that airs. And then you have to have an audience in order to have someone that wants to air a commercial. But the only way to get an audience is if you, you know, do shows every stinking week for the rest of your life. Because if, as soon as you take a week off, people they go, oh, the show disappeared. And they might not tune in the week after. So, uh, yeah, it's all about, you know, setting a schedule and, you know, choosing your topics and all the things that Jim, I'm sure you're familiar with. You've only got eight podcasts that you do on a weekly basis, and two more coming soon. Yeah, right. So uh, yeah, this is this is a show just just for you, basically about yeah. It's all about podcasts and what goes into the effort and the sound and the equipment and all that jazz. You have to give away something for free for a long time for people to then value it. Mm-hmm. And then once they value it and you've made some sort of connection with them, you, you form a relationship. And, and then uh, suddenly this is a viable media. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I, did, I, I have to say as somebody who's been podcasting, hell, Len and I are, are 10 years in. Yeah, it's point. not a hobby, right? It's a no, job. It's, it's, it's what you job. do for a living. Yeah, absolutely. But again, I am. I learn something new about my job virtually every day, and, and some of it at, at Aaron's hand. I mean, just today, I was reaching out to Aaron about, what about this knob? What about this, this level? And it's mm-hmm. like, you know, and Aaron was like, don't touch anything. So... Yeah. Anyway, uh, speaking of podcasts, we have a couple of others here we'd like you to check out. Uh, We, of course, have Disney Dish, which I do with Len Testa. We also have Fine Tuning, which I do with Drew Taylor. Drew also has uh, his uh, official Mission Impossible podcast, like the fuse that he does with Charles Hood. That's worth seeking out. And uh, Brian Gunn and I uh, are, are working on a brand new looking at Lucasfilm that, that we hope to have out shortly. Speaking of, of stuff we've been working on, Disney Unpacked. Mr. Testa, Aaron, and I, along with Jim Schul, for the past two years have been working on our first ever video series. Officially debuted on Patreon last month. Second ep- episode of the series, uh, which is about Crush's Coaster at Walt Disney. Studios Park in Paris dropped on the 5th of this month. We'd love it if you could go check that out. You're still doing the social media thing, right? Yes. Uh, still at the X Twitter at Azaprod, A-Z-A-P-R-O-D. Okay. Well, uh, I'm on X, Twitter, whatever you call it. Likewise, Instagram is Jim Hill Media. Also over on Facebook is Jim Hill Media News. One last favor before we close here, folks. Uh, if you could head over to Apple Podcasts 
and rate and recommend, well, not just the show you're listening to right now, Marvelous Disney, but also 32nd Street. That would be very helpful. And I guess that's going to do it for this week. But for now, thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon.